0: As our verse said, the Apostle Paul was literally an ambassador in chains. Uh, The Bible says that all the Praetorian Guard around him knew about Jesus Christ. Imagine that being in jail and all your jailers know about Jesus Christ. That's pretty amazing. But while he he was in chains, he wrote a couple letters to this guy named Timothy. Now, we've all seen it, Timothy in the Bible, and and talked about him. Um, Who exactly was Timothy? And why did Paul write letters to him? Well, Timothy was a disciple of Jesus Christ. Not that he ever met Christ... But he had learned of him through his mother and grandmother. Luke in Acts 16 tells us a disciple was there named Timothy, the son of a Jewish woman who was a believer, but his father was a Greek. And we learn in 2 Timothy that Timothy's Timothy's mother was named Eunice, and she was a Jew, and his grandmother was named Lois. The next few verses in Acts, we learn that that Tim, can I call him Tim? Uh, had a good reputation with the other Christians in the area. He was circumcised by Paul and traveled with Paul on his second missionary journey. Some suppose that Paul met Timothy on his first missionary journey. And, and people who look at that uh, date that on the first missionary journey, Tim was about 16 years old. But he showed a lot of wisdom at 16. Paul came back on his second missionary journey. And people who look at dates, once again, he went back to the same city, which is called Lystra. And Tim and Paul got together again. And for more than 20 years, the relationship spanned two continents. Tim traveled with Paul. And during the second trip, Timothy was given opportunities to preach and teach and spend time at the feet of Paul. And and remember that of the 27 books in the New Testament written by Paul, he wrote 27 books in the New Testament Timothy is mentioned um, in 17 of them, 18 different times. He's mentioned in other books as well. They had a father-son, discipler-discipled relationship that lasted until Paul's death in AD 67. Emperor Nero, Nero, who commanded that Paul be put to death, committed suicide a few weeks later on June 9th of 67. Now maybe the thought of... I like to think that the thought of killing Paul got to him and he just couldn't handle it. We don't know. The last known letter Paul wrote was to Tim... Commonly called 2 Timothy, and was written shortly before Paul's death. But there was another letter written a few years earlier. But both of those letters, when I was a young pastor, meant a lot to me. They struck my heart. They were instructions on how to behave, how to look at things, how to deal with issues in the church and, and people in the church. And my goal today is to review some of those verses in the first letter and explore the things that were important to Paul that he passed on to Timothy. Now, if you want to follow along in your pew Bible, it starts on page 1803. In the second verse of the first letter, Paul says, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. What is grace? Does everybody know what grace is? Unmerited favor is a quick, easy way to remember it. When you see that word grace, you just think unmerited favor. We have favor from God. We didn't earn it. We can't earn it. We can't do enough to get it it's just given to us it's god's grace that gives us that favor and the next in the context of that unmerited favor there is mercy mercy is kindness or goodwill towards the miserable and the afflicted joined with the desire to help them kindness to show the condemned and releasing them from danger that's mercy Kind of forgiving of people when you show that mercy. Extending grace to them. And then peace. Are you holding a grudge? That's not peace. That's anger deep inside. Let it go. Some, somebody did something to you that you don't like. Let it go. That's what this peace is about, peace in our hearts. If you're angry and boiled up at somebody, it hurts you far more than it hurts the other person. That's the peace God wants us to have. And then in verse five of that first chapter, it says the aim of our charge is love that issues from a pure heart and a good conscience and a sincere faith. Now, all of us are adults here. We understand there's three words for love. Eros, which is sexual. Philo, which is friendship. And agape, that special love that God has for us. And we are to have towards other people. To explain it, I'll tell you a little story. There's a young man who went to Rabbi Abraham Abraham Twersky. I practiced that like 10 times so I'd say it right. (coughs) On advice for love, questioning if he really did love a certain lady. And they talked a little bit. Then the rabbi asked him a series of questions about why he thought he loved her. He said, do you love her because she makes you feel good? Yes, he said. Do you love her because she's a good cook? Oh, yeah, 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 I do. Does she look good? Oh yeah. I love looking at her. The rabbi changed his subject and he says, uh, do you love chicken? <laughs> yes, the young man said, why? The rabbi said asked, uh, or the rabbi asked why. The young man said, because it tastes good. You can cook it so many different ways. I love the smell of chicken cooking. I love the way it looks, the way way it's there. And the rabbi said this. He said, what you feel for this woman is chicken love. (laughs) You see, it's all about you and how you feel, how you are stimulated. But real love is about taking care of someone. It's not about what you're getting out of it it's what you can give to people. Do you care for her? Do you want to protect her? Do you want to do, want her to be able to do her best? You see, until you do, neither of you will be satisfied with the relationship. And our reason for loving people is not chicken love. It's about looking the best for other people it's about caring enough to come alongside people and help them and strengthen them and do what you can for them and it's not about what you get in return you see God sees what you do God knows your heart when you do it and if it's all about you it's not what God wants Think if you had an enemy, and you talked to this enemy in a way that was loving, caring about them, what they were going through. You know, why are you so upset? Let's talk about it. Let's deal with this issue. How much do you think they would change? You see, that's godly love. Let's move on to chapter two. Paul says to to Tim First of all, I urge that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgivings be made for all people, for kings and all who are in high positions, that we may lead a peaceful and quiet life, godly and dignified in every way. This is good, and it is pleasing in the sight of our Savior who desires all people to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. In our prayer, we give supplications. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. That's a supplication. The word carries a sense of awe and adoration, suggesting a respectful appeal to a higher power. Lord, thank you for what you've done for me. Lord, I was in a car accident, but you saved me. Lord, I fell off that horse and broke my shoulder, but you know what? He didn't trample on me. That was you in my life. Thanking God. For all, Somebody out there just smiled when I said fell off a horse. I just want you to know that. Somebody has obviously fallen off a horse a time or two. <laughs> Prayers, of course, carries an intensity with it. It's, it's translated in, in the book of James, he prayed fervently, passionately. Is that part of our prayer life? You don't have to raise your hands, just ask it. Intercessions means interventions, praying for others. I know they're having a tough time, Lord, be with them. I know my friend's junior need to have covid. We pray for them, do what we can for them, help them out. We should do that for all people. Christians are not, and of course, thanksgivings. And people say, "Why? Why? Why would Paul say that kind of thing?" Remember the times that he was in. Rome was in control. It was evil. It was anti-Christian. And were to pray for those people. The people who persecute you, yes. You you could ride into Rome on a horse, and on both sides of the road there were stakes, and on those stakes were the burnt or burning bodies of Christians. And we think we have it tough now. We should be praying for our politicians whether we believe they're good or bad. Pray for the police. Pray for those who have some kind of authority over us. I'm hesitant about building inspectors, but you know, there's no building inspectors in heaven. In my work with the EPA, we have an acronym. It's called AHJ, and it means Authority Having jurisdiction. Because you got this overall EPA power and then you've got state powers and city powers and county powers and, and all that. We want to pray for those people that they would make wise decisions. And don't come up with those arguments about government corruption, lies they've told, they're not following the laws. Remember at this time that Paul was talking The emperor could make whatever laws he wanted to make. He could be walking down the street, and if you didn't bow properly, whatever, kill him. And they'd have to kill him. But we as Christians are to follow God's words. Other verses just below that say that we may lead a peaceful and quiet life. Godly and dignified in every way. Under extreme persecution. God wants all to come to him. Our verse continues. And we're to be bold in our faith. Not worrying about what might happen to us. What people might think about us. What attitudes may change in people because they don't want to follow Christ. But at least they've had the message. At least they know. This is good and it is pleasing in the sight of God our Savior. I mean, don't we all want to do things that are pleasing to God in our lives? Don't we all want to do the things we're supposed to do? In verse 8, he says, I desire then that at every place the men should pray, that people should pray, lifting holy hands without anger or without quarreling. Why would there be quarreling in prayer? Have you ever thought about that? Why would people be upset about prayer? I know why. You prayed for Trump? What are you thinking? You prayed for Biden? What are you thinking? We should be praying for all. Imagine you were living in the years just after Christ ascended into heaven. The church was being persecuted by Paul mainly. And that persecution included death, imprisonment for both men and women, torture, and all things we would consider horrible. But we pray for those people. I mean, Jews who converted, converted to Christ, it was their own leaders who were after them. You pray for those people. Without anger or quarreling, you're to pray for those who are doing all this madness. And in our government, that's all levels of government. That's all the people involved. With no anger. And pray for a real conversion for all who are not of Christ. Pray that they come to Christ. We talked about heaven last week. We talked about the dimensions of the building, how tall it was. 108 million people have lived on earth. Total is what they say. They say, that's from 50,000 years ago. I don't think we go back that far, but that's what they say. Heaven's big enough to house all of them with plenty of room. A fourth of heaven would house all those people. Can you imagine that? New Jerusalem? At the beginning of chapter 3 of the first letter, Paul instructs Timothy about the character of those who desire to be leaders of the church. And this is not about judging people, it's evaluating people for that position. He says they are to be above reproach, sober-minded, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, Able to teach, not a drunkard, not violent, but gentle, not quarrelsome, and not a lover of money. And above reproach is a term meaning their actions towards others is not questionable. There's no ulterior motive to what you're doing. You have people's best interest at heart. Sober-minded carries the idea that they are not ones to go off half-cocked about things. They're supposed to be calm and steady, not get upset. Hospita- hospitable, hospitable. I'll get it right the third time, okay? <laughs> Open to people, helpful. Come on in, have a drink, take uh, water, okay? Not, <laughs> I'll get myself in trouble sometimes. Um, able to teach. And that doesn't mean you sit up here in front of everybody and teach. It means you're able to come alongside other people and help them and teach them about the Word of God. But first, you got to know the Word of God. And how are you doing at that? Not a drunkard. <laughs> Some of you heard from me the fact that my stepdad was a drunkard and a leader of the church we attended at the time. That was a wild ride. It didn't go that well. Not violent, but gentle. You know how people get upset about this or that when it doesn't go their way? You know? Gentle. Be gentle. Not quarrelsome not quarrelsome. We know the type. Everything is an argument. Everything is, it has to be an argument mentally for them. They can't just be gentle. Shakespeare wrote that play, Much Ado About Nothing. And that's what a lot of people are like. They make a lot of ado. I don't even know what a do means, but it sounds, you know. And then finally, not a lover of money. The focus of their life is not how much money they can hoard. If it is, they're not leadership material. Nothing wrong with being wealthy. Don't get me wrong. But if gaining money and pulling money in is more important than anything else, that's what we're talking about here. I spent about six, seven years in a church where the leadership... Tended to be money grubbing businessmen. Come on, pages separate. There we go. I mean, business people are great in leadership if they're doing the right thing. Business people are very helpful in handling the finances of the church. Now, do those things need to be be perfect in our lives? No. But I've always told people it's not perfection, but direction. What direction are their lives heading? And how do these things apply to us regular folks? It's all about leadership. No, it's not. It's about us as people. Who knows what God is going to call you to do in a church? Who knows what position you're going to hold? I started many years ago, I'm almost embarrassed to say, teaching five and six-year-olds. I wasn't all that good at it. We sang the Didi song. Have you ever heard that? The Christian version is, in the beginning, God created the sky, singing, do, what did he, did he down, did he do." And it goes on, I'll teach it to you sometime, pastor. It's pretty cool. You're a kid, right? <laughs> Who knows what God has planned for us? We don't. I was a 45-year-old construction worker. And God said, well, I think you ought to teach. 45 years old. Now, to all of you, that's just a kid, right? But at any time. In chapter 5, Paul speaks of another danger, a danger that has ruined the lives of countless people over the years. I'm going to tell you a bit of a personal story with this just to show you how bad it can affect things. This problem is mentioned clearly as far back as Psalms and Proverbs. Proverbs. And in 1 Timothy 5.13, it says, Besides that, they learned to be idlers, going about from house to house, not only idlers, but gossips and busybodies, saying things that they should not. Do you know who are the worst gossips in the world? Men. They do it subtly, but generally they're the worst. In Jewish tradition, gossip was considered... Akin to murder, because back then, all you had was a person's word. It's like the old West. If you called a man a liar, then he'd shoot you because he didn't want that reputation. A person back then could no longer be trusted. This was my situation. Uh, My now-long-time-gone ex-wife was at her sister's house, helping her, and I had knee surgery, and and so my sister agreed to come up and stay with me for a week to help me out. Uh, I was supposed to start walking on it, gently and carefully. So my sister walked with me, holding my hand and arm to steady steady me, And we walked down the street, and we're walking back, and we were reminiscing, laughing and joking about my clumsiness and about our childhood. And my sister mentioned that she loved me, and I said, I love you too, and I gave her a big hug. A neighbor saw us. Within hours, it was all over our small community that I was involved with another woman. and in a small community gossip is culture you know it's it's what you do in a small community and suddenly in the church there were those who believed the gossip those who rejected it completely and a division occurred the church split and eventually died There were other reasons that went into that, and I'll go into them some other time, but uh, having experienced that, the horrors of gossip took on a whole new meaning to me, and I understood this passage perfectly. Don't gossip. I've learned to ask questions like, when somebody says something, Do you have that person's permission to talk about that? That's a good one. Who told you that? Can we go talk to them? Mm, Usually not. I'm going to go talk to that person about this situation. Or the ever scary, let's you and I go together and talk to this person. And that shuts down a lot of gossip in any community. And it needs to be shut down. Those are things Paul wanted Timothy to know. Not just to be a leader, but be active in his Christianity. And let's move on to chapter 6, verse 3. If anyone teaches a different doctrine and does not agree with the sound words of our Lord Jesus Christ and the teaching that accords with godliness. Now, you know, we've got a lot of Christians and brothers and sisters in this world who believe a little bit differently than we do. That doesn't make them non-Christians. Sometimes people want to make a big deal out of it we call that majoring in the minors you know it's just it's not worth it then believe it or not there's three categories mentioned here to help us determine who false teachers are the first we see is a different doctrine the bible's clear on its doctrine there are various interpretations about certain passages but the bible is clear Jesus Christ is Lord. He was God who came to earth and died for our sins and is now in heaven building us a new home. There are the types who have a Bible named after themselves like the Joel Osteen Bible. Can you imagine the stuff that's in there? And there's lesser things like, oh, my first real Bible was a, um, oh, who's the big dispensationalist? Schofield. Schofield, a Schofield Reference Bible. Thank you, Pastor. Um, and every note in that Bible tilts you towards his beliefs. And we want to be careful with that. Best Bible to get is one that has no notes, and you figure it out for yourself. Ask the Holy Spirit to guide you, in my opinion. There are things that will help you, absolutely. Then I recently heard of one rewriter of the Scripture said this, a lot of people thought they, the Scriptures, were completely outdated with no relevance to today's values wow we can write a bible saying sin is okay and that makes it more relevant no we can't and then the second thing there is does not agree with sound words of our lord jesus christ now i think you'd want to agree with jesus christ you know? And if I was not going to agree with someone, it would not be Jesus Christ, A, or B, my wife. <laughs> you know? Either one would have some serious ramifications. The third pointer mentioned here. Uh, is disagreeing with teaching that accords with godliness. There are those who believe that they can teach and live with licentiousness and still be godly people. I remember I was in Michigan. I built a General Motors stamping plant, huge million-square-foot building. Uh, I, I wasn't the only guy on the job. I want you to know that. Okay, I didn't do it myself. <clears throat> but there is one guy I'd like to have conversations with and, because he claimed that any sin he committed was just fine because he believed in Jesus. No feeling of guilt for his sin, not having to confess his sin, just doing whatever felt good at the time. That's not sound doctrine, folks. Verse 4, he says, He is puffed up with conceit and understands nothing. He has an unhealthy craving for controversy and for quarrels about words which produce envy, dissension, slander, and evil suspicions, and constant friction among the people who are depraved in mind and deprived of truth, imagining that godliness is a means of gain. John MacArthur says uh, this quote, false teachers in a state of apostasy, that is, although they once knew and seemed to embrace the truth, they return to openly reject it. And he goes on to say about a means of gain, almost always behind all the efforts of the hypocritical lying, he doesn't mince any words, like Paul. False teachers is a driving motion of monetary gain. I mean, really? How many private jets do you need? Why do you need a forty-thousand-square-foot home? Can you imagine that? A guy and his wife needing forty-thousand-square-feet? Yeah, and is a hundred million in the bank enough? You know, I'm talking about our buddy Joel. Uh, And yet, when the hurricane hit, he refused to open his church to help the people. Saying there's lots of homeless shelters, let him use those. But godliness with contentment is great gain, verse 6 says. For we brought nothing into the world, and we cannot take anything out of the world. But if we have food and clothing, with these we will be content. The idea of contentment here with the Greek uh, describes a person who is unflappable and unmoved by any external circumstances. Other places it's joy. Joy's not happiness, it's not laughing, it's Peace in the presence of God. As we consider our lives and the changing world around us, it is my hope that we can consider the words of Paul to Timothy to apply what is applicable to our lives and always give God the glory for who and what we are. Timothy, the disciple of Jesus Christ, through his association with Paul, was the bishop of Ephesus. He governed the church for more than 30 years until A.D. 97. Ephesus was known for its sexual debauchery. There was an annual celebration of a large group who worshipped... Uh, yeah, I practice this one, too, and yeah. Dionysus, a Greek god of wine, vegetation, sexual pleasure, festivity, madness, and wild frenzy. Yeah, we all want a god like that, right? <laughs> At the time, this group of, of celebrators of this god were doing a feast called Catagogon. Catagogion? And during the celebration, they celebrated everything the Bible is against, particularly sexual things. They would roam the streets in the crowd, and I quote, assaulting without restraint free men and respectable women, perpetrating rape and murders of no common sort, and shedding endless blood in the best parts of the city. Timothy, at 80-plus years old, met the procession. And he reproved them, and he told them about Jesus Christ. And they took their clubs, and they beat him. And he died two days later. Sad, isn't it? Such a man of God. God. I hope in my life I could be a hundredth of the man he was. He was amazing. Well, that's it for me. God bless y'all.